Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and it is day four of the Learning 2.0 conference. And welcome to the keynote panel on technology and librarians. This is uh, of real importance to me. I felt like it wasn't, we couldn't have a conference on Learning 2.0 without having some active librarian participation. Now, I do host a library 2.0 conference that takes place in early October. Go to library20.com for more information about that. Uh, so we will have lots and lots of sessions on libraries, librarians, and librarianship at that time. But we wanted to make sure we did something special for this conference. And so David Lurcher, Gwyneth Jones, Michelle Ludola, Shannon Miller, and Joyce Valenza are going to have a, a panel discussion about this topic. Thanks to Follett and Intel for supporting the conference. And we express appreciation to Mighty Bell, Blackboard Collaborate, Taking a Global EdWeb, and Edutopia for in-kind help. So here's your panel, hopefully in the right order with the right names. And David needs a blank whiteboard. So David, you can go back to this slide when you're not using the blank whiteboard. But here you go, and I will let you start. And if your microphone isn't on, David, you'll need to turn it on. OK. Uh, uh, thank you, Steve. I'm going to put up the questions that will guide this uh, on the top of the whiteboard here. And I'll just get them up here in just a second. And uh, we're going to begin by uh, uh, we're going to begin by uh, asking the first question, and as we do so, well, I thought I was going to do that. Um, well, I wonder you if need some I help. Well, I had it copied. Uh, can I type it in the? Uh, I'll type it in the text box. Can you? Uh, can you? Uh, I don't know why it's not uh, uh, registering, but I'll put it in the chat box. Okay, and I'm glad I to put it on the screen if you'd like. Well, I don't know why. Uh oh. Oh, Steve. It's, uh oh. There it goes, I guess. In the chat box. Do you see that, Steve? I don't see it yet. Did you hit enter? Well, let's see. I'll do that right now. There we go. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, uh, there's the the kind of the overall questions that we'll be asking our panelists today, and uh, thank you all for. Uh, uh, agreeing to participate. So I thought you could introduce yourself kind of with that first question. You know, what's happened to you in the in the last uh, five years as uh, this whole uh, technology uh, uh, has descended on the world? And so I'll just close my mic. Gwyneth, why don't you just start? All right. Uh, David, you want me to give an introduction or a hello and then yeah, introduce yourself as you answer that question. All right, will do. Hey, everybody. I'm really um, tickled pink and excited to be here. My name is Gwyneth Jones. I'm also known as the Daring Librarian. And I am a middle school teacher librarian uh, between Baltimore and Washington, D.C. in the lovely city of Columbia, Maryland. And uh, this is my 21st year teaching. And I'm really excited to be here, as I said. And let's see, quick overview. With the proliferation of information and technology, how has your role changed as a teacher librarian in the past five years? Um, I'd like to think that with the kind of, thanks George, with the kind of uh, mentoring I've gotten from Joyce and Kathy Schrock and uh, so many of our wonderful leaders and definitely with the support of my personal learning network, uh, my game has really uh, changed a lot, and my role, however, 
as a teacher librarian in my school has not changed all that much except for, I suppose, being more of uh, helping with testing, <laughs> with that wonderful state standardized testing. But I mean, I've since I started my job 15 years ago in my middle school, I've always been the webmaster of the school, the technology leader of the school, the main person who purchases the technology or helps install it and get things going. Um, my role as a teacher, uh, collaborating with my other teachers, reaching out to all the different subject areas, especially math and science, because, you know, I've got my English teachers and my social studies teachers already sort of drinking my Kool-Aid. Um, so it hasn't, it, I, I'd like to say it's changed a great deal with the technology, but it hasn't. Um, honestly, the technology has just changed the modality with which I um, engage my students and my staff. So it's really um, more about collaborating to find out what their needs are, fitting them in, and uh, hopefully teaming to be successful. And I'll pass the mic over to the next person. Joyce, you want to start? Uh, sure. You know, I, I just looked at that question with some, um, with, through a new lens, and I, I put um, a link in there. And I, I've been thinking about change, and I don't think we've been teaching different things. I just think we've been teaching things differently. And as I'm looking at how we might have reinterpreted this stuff, um, you know, I'm thinking about how the various different principles of librarianship um, may have changed. When I'm thinking about intellectual property, I'm thinking about how um, the, the big shift for me has been from very um, rigorously saying no to so many things to, to much more enthusiastically saying yes. And I've called that from being gatekeeper to cheerleader because I'm, you know, I'm celebrating uh, fair use and create a commons in a way that I didn't know when I started in this field 35 years ago. And I may have the longest on the ground uh, experience. I know everybody's been a librarian in this panel, uh, but I've been doing it for a really long time. Um, and, and then the, you know, the other note is like when I had kids right before, certainly there was no audience other than teachers' eyes only. Um, networking has changed, bringing, bringing authors and experts into the classroom, uh, helping other teachers do the same thing, um, sharing reading experiences, um, uh, celebrating um, in, in, um, intellectual freedom absolutely has changed because we're fighting on, on a whole bunch of different battlefields, waving the banner of intellectual freedom. Uh, where we used to be defending books only, we're now, and I know Michelle can speak to this a lot more, more um, expertly than I, um, we're, we're, um, we're really waving another banner of intellectual freedom and making sure that all students have intellectual and physical access to the tools and, and the uh, content they need. Um, certainly cataloging has shifted. Certainly how we're providing uh, content and tools to learners and teachers has changed. Um, curation has, um, the tools for curation have shifted. The notion of collection has shifted. Um, our physical space has shifted. And, and I know that David's learning commons is, is part of the change in that model. Uh, and how we retool has certainly has shifted. How we deliver professional development to each other and, and to the faculty we've served. And, and I, I guess that will serve as a little bit of an introduction for me. Great. And Michelle, uh, let's hear from you. All right. Well, I'm going to go since Joyce kind of gave me a nice segue to talk about a few of the things that I think we focus on a lot. Um, five years ago, I was really teaching a fairly um, unimaginative program, I think, honestly. Um, it focused on, you know, accessing databases and books and probably putting together bibliographies and focusing on the research and the reading, which I'm still doing. But I think that there are a lot of things that have really redefined how it is that we teach. Um, first, e-content, second, participatory media, and third, mobile learning. And really, these three things are kind of redefining the parameters of how I actually deliver instruction. If you look at Big Six from, you know, if you look at Big Six, that locating resources piece, we're kind of getting stuck there, I'm finding, because I find that a huge part of my job is actually just I'm trying to figure out how to get e-content to students, how to find a usable and manageable and user-friendly portal to package or as Joyce just likes to use the term container and I love it, 
um, sort of a container where they can access all of these digital resources in one place so they don't have to go out to 50 different places. Um, so they can focus on actually learning, reading, research, and, and really processing the information and being able to um, create new content out of that, out of that, out of those resources. Um, but mobile, mobile learning comes into play because how they're accessing it depends on what the tool that they're using to access it. And really, for the most part, our kids aren't really using desktop computers to do a lot of their work at this point. A lot of them are using whatever is in their pocket. So we have to try to deliver that library pretty much in, and this is again, you know, Joyce and I were talking about this just two days ago, last night, um, where we're, how are we going to get that library into their hand, into their pocket, so that they have them on them at all times. Um, cataloging content is really, really different with e-content because we have, if, you know, a miscatalogued book can still be seen. Uh, miscatalogued e-content can't. And so that's really sort of reshifted our focus on cataloging in ways that we haven't really focused on in a long time. So I think that there are a lot of things. I do want to I do want to talk a little bit about the intellectual freedom piece that Joyce mentioned because we have Banned Websites Awareness Day coming up um, just on October 3rd, and this is really um, an effort for um, AASL to target one day out of Banned Books Week to to dedicate to the issue of filtering as as an obstruction to teaching and learning in K-12 environments. So I wanted to put that plug in there, and I will add the link to the chat. And I'm going to turn it over to the next person. And uh, I'm Dave Urcher, professor at San Jose State University. And uh, during the past five years, I think uh, my entire uh, teaching life has changed uh, dramatically. I mean, about 10 years ago, I was teaching only face-to-face. -face, and then I met a company by the name of Blackboard and started using their free version. And then about five years ago, um, uh, got on to illuminate, and uh, suddenly I discovered that I didn't have to live where I worked, and um, as long as I had a good internet connection. And so now, uh, now I teach totally online, and I think the the entire teaching and learning processes has changed for both me and my students, and uh, it is a totally uh, a new world, new ways of interacting, new ways of learning. I find that. Uh, uh, the types of uh, constructivist online stuff that I do, that my students uh, learn uh, exponentially more than I ever was able to get uh, from the face-to-face -face and kind of low-tech world, which brings us to the question number two. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks say that, uh, uh, you know, technology really hasn't made a difference. I'm going to ask our panel just to, uh, and, and because the world of information now is just uh, gargantuan, and um, and the tech tools that we now have available are uh, there's just a plethora of them. Uh, so, what difference uh, are you seeing? Any boost to teaching and learning uh, in quote this uh, new environment? So, David, do you want them to raise their hands? No, just uh, just click on the talk button and go. I guess I'll get started with that. Um, yeah, the answer is yes. Is it being is it being measured? And I think the answer to that is no, because I don't think we have a metric to really discover the type of learning that that I'm observing anecdotally. And and I, I think that's something I'd really like to start working on. Uh, but watching some of my students engage in the very best possible um, digital storytelling, I am seeing new types of authorship. Um, watching, having students publish their work in ways they've never done before and getting response to their writing um, has, in my mind, and from what I've observed, encouraged better writing on behalf of many of my students. Uh, I am seeing this, uh, and I'd love to start studying this, but longitudinally, um, I am seeing students come back to me after they've graduated and, and, and tell me that they can manage technical things better than, the, than they, their, uh, their classmates at the university. Uh, I'm seeing a generation of bloggers. Some of the students that I first started playing around with blogging with are now professional bloggers. They're writing, they're writing for a living in, in the particular niches 
that that they're they're passionate about. Um, I'm seeing all sorts of applications. Some of my students are now filmmakers. Um, I don't know that our tests measure that stuff yet. I have hopes that the Common Core will value uh, some of the types of writing that that we're we're doing now in schools. Um, I'm looking at their access to information and their ability to write with with resources that they've never um, been able to uh, use before, and and also again unmeasured is um, this new type of reading that I'm seeing. Um, I know that a lot of my kids, I cannot tell you numbers, are reading more because I know I know they're engaged in new discussions with each other about reading. The kids come and tell me about this kind of underground reading stuff that's happening. Um, my kids are avid followers of John Green and um, Maureen Johnson um, and, and Libba Bray, and, and um, they're, they're attached to their blogs, they're inspired to do good work. Um, and and they're communicating with each other about books, reading, and ideas. They're writing for national Nana Rima and Rimo and and um, you know what? I don't know how I don't know how to measure this type of learning. Um, and I am afraid we're losing a whole lot of statistics because we don't know we don't know how to look at this kind of informal learning and connectedness. Uh, but I know that those students are the students that I am really excited about, not necessarily the kids who do great on, on the, I love my, all of my students, but the, the kids who do well on the bubble test, we're, we're measuring, they're capturing that, we're capturing that, but we're not celebrating a lot of the achievement that I see going on uh, less formally and less schooly. One of the things that's really changed for me is um, we assessed uh, over a thousand students last last spring about their use of actually largely mobile technology. And you know, while 63 percent of our kids have an app-enabled device, um, we are finding that they only have less than five of the basically the, the must-have apps on the, on those devices to use them for productivity and learning. So um, one of the things that we're really trying to concentrate on is really get them to use the tools that they have for teaching and learning, for to enhance their productivity, to expand their curiosity, to really push them out there into the realm where you know they're using Symbaloo on their on their on their device and they're using these kinds of tools, uh, the curation tools that Joyce talks about all the time. Um, you know, most of those have apps, and yet most of our students don't have those apps. They don't even have the fundamental library catalog, uh, library catalog on there. So I, I'm really finding that this is kind of redefining how we work. When I walk into a classroom, the first thing I say is, "Take out your device and let's get some apps on there and let's get going." Um, we have enough apps. We have enough devices in our in, in our library that we can circulate that we can provide those to students who don't have a, a device, and we really want to get that moving. But it's it's definitely changed a lot of the a, a lot of a lot of how I actually interact with the students in my instructional piece because the first thing we have to do is actually like really mechanical. This is kind of you know rudimentary stuff. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm trying to work on in terms of assessment. We we started our first assessment in 2010. We did another one last fall. We did another one last spring, and that, that's one of the things I want to continue to see. And then we want to look for correlation in terms of learning and understanding the program and what the services that we offer and how they are integrating that into their own development and their own original work and creation. I'll stop. Gwyneth. Thanks, Michelle. It's so exciting to hear the things that you guys are doing in the high schools. In the middle schools, it's a little bit different in the fact that I bring in mobile apps um, to my kids via other kinds of ways because theoretically in my school, they're not supposed to have their cell phones in their pockets. And uh, so I bought a couple iPod Touch Generation 4s and then I created a permission slip though for when we do our digital discoveries using mobile apps and mobile devices. And I'll go to the classroom the day before that the kids are supposed to come into the library and I'll pass out the, they're like a half sheet permission slip and I've made that available on the wiki and I can um, get that to you if, if the latest version is not on there, I'll update it. But what the exciting part is, some of my parents are a little concerned about, you know, having the kids bring their mobile apps because they're always afraid they're going to get in trouble and I said, no, it's okay, um, the media center, the library media center is a mobile friendly zone and we're going to be using them for instructional usage. So the parents sign off, yes, I give my child permission to bring their uh, library 
excuse me, their mobile app, an active phone, an app-rich phone to the library to do those kinds of activities. Because in middle school, uh, I might, I think my parents are really concerned that those cameras could get stolen, I mean, the phones could get stolen or messed up or what have you. So the fun thing is, is when they do come in and we have something going on and they get to finally go there. And I think I try to do a little bit what you're, you're doing, Michelle, is see what apps they have. And, and I have a list that I share with them of, you know, the apps that I recommend that they uh, get on there. And then we take some time that we're all on board with the apps that we need for the activity that we're doing, although that also is on the permission slip the night before so they can hopefully come in ready. But, you know, invariably they don't. Um, so that kind of exciting thing. Now, I know my kids, and I know that, like Peggy George said in the chat before, you tell them they can't do something and they're bound and determined to find a way. So sometimes I try to engage my kids in sneaky ways, like I do what um, I call new reviews, and I'll make a QR code that's linked to a book review of something that just came in. And I'll have one for the guys and one for the gals. And I'll put on the top of a 8.5 by 11 sheet, uh, do not scan this. And then, it, and then at the bottom, I'll say, with your free Enigma QR code reader, which can be found on the App Store, either Android or iPhone, in very small parentheses. And then the QR code is extra big with a uh, extra large using KWA is my uh, modality to make that large uh, QR code. And I laminate that and post that on the inside of the bathroom stalls. Because kids go, my middle school kids go into the bathrooms, of course, to check their email and to check their phones. And I sometimes have kids coming in. Uh, and it's really funny when the guys come in, hey, Ms. Jones, uh, I heard about this book. And uh, where is it? And I'm like, oh, right, it's right here. now." She wins. Where did you hear about that book? And then I can show it to them. So that's kind of the way, and I don't know how rich that is or how you measure that, but um, I guess I measure that by the books that I promote in my Lou reviews going in and out of my library like uh, gangbusters. Um, so, you know, from the time I was doing some of the early, uh, you know, interactive things with Hyper Studio, and I'm trying to think back like 10, 15 years ago doing some of the early uh, animation kind of stuff. You know, I guess with the changing of technology, you know, right, we have grown and, and there's so many cool ways. But I, I can't wait for Joyce to talk to you about some of the curation because I think the part, the wise part of this is the curation piece that Joyce is just, she's like, you know, my maven on this is that teaching our kids not necessarily how to find the information. I think we, you know, our kids are really getting to be quite clever. We've, you know, our database uh, training has gone on for long enough and they know where to find it. But, you know, it's how to evaluate it, how to judge it, how to, you know, put it into the different buckets of, of knowledge of their uh, categories where they can easily reach it, you know, without looking, just close their eyes and grab it back. It's like a surgeon going in with a scalpel rather than a weed whacker or a chainsaw going in, getting what you need, and getting back out. So I'm going to pass it along again. Well, one of the um, most exciting parts of the technology that I've worked with my students on are the all the new collaborative kind of tools uh, that uh, numerous kids can be on the same page. For example, the Google document where actual collaborative writing can happen. And I use the spreadsheet constantly for the gathering of ideas uh, from everyone. And, and then together as a group, we look across everyone's uh, contribution in real time so that the, the emphasis in the lesson is not on the gathering of information so much as uh, the analysis and synthesis of you know what everyone has discovered, ideas or data or and and that uh, that I've seen is is a very rich uh, higher level uh, learning experience so that and, and when it happens in real time, uh, what everyone knows is so much larger than if uh, each person had you know, done a little bit of research and found out uh, this fact or that fact. It, it's just, uh, I, I am incredibly amazed all the time about how much more 
uh, folks can learn in the same amount of time using the collaborative tools. Any other comments on this? Joyce, do you want to uh, you want to talk about curation here and the, the benefits you see in learning uh, coming out of curation? Uh, yeah, okay. I, and, and honestly, David, that, that, that's kind of a nice segue because one of the things that came out in the chat while we were all speaking um, was um, kind of the, how the playing around with assessments and, and performance assessment and, and where we're going with portfolios. And I really, I think this might be a big year for us to, to attack that as librarians. I, I see that as another one of those sweet spots. It's a form of curation, the way I think about it. Um, what are, we're, we're losing so much evidence of student work. We're losing all these artifacts. And the librarian who knows um, the students across the disciplines and across the grade levels seems to me to be in a perfect spot to begin the discussion of school-wide um, portfolio curation um, with students being at the center of it um, in terms of making decisions about what gets collected and, and, how to, and, and their reflections on, on the stuff that they're collecting and really beginning to build what we're talking about as an academic digital footprint. And so if we talk about curation, I'm really thinking that student work plays a large role in that. Um, I'm building collections. But uh, part of my collection can absolutely be the work of my students, the, the instruction they create for um, the learning community, um, their products, their digital stories, um, their, their papers that we can now publish as, uh, as little books, um, their artwork which we can now put in galleries that can be critiqued. Um, until now, we haven't really had the right containers for that content. But now we've got a variety of different options, and I, I, I think it's time to stop losing this work. And so I'm hoping that that's one of the movements I can play a role in in my school and, and probably beyond this year. And yes, um, Google Apps um, is, it could play an important role in it. We can use things like Google Sites. Uh, there's so many possibilities. So anyway, curation is one of those things I've been talking about a lot this year. And I, when I first started thinking about it, I was thinking about it in the way um, that the marketing people and the business people were thinking about it. And um, Robin Good certainly is a leader in this. Howard Rangel has been talking about it a lot. Um, Peter Levy. Uh, there's a lot of people writing about, about curation. But I'm thinking about um, curation in, in, on three or four fronts. One. Um, Curation, in my mind, is the new search. Um, I am discovering that there are so many talented people. If you discover who the talented people are, who the experts, who the best hobbyists are, who the most passionate people are, and if you search their curation efforts, the example I gave in my blog was searching on the topic of autism. Try doing a search in Google on autism and then compare that search to a search in Scoop It, Paperly, LibGuides, any of those tools on autism and see what the difference is. The difference is that you get context. You get somebody who's created, um, who's made some selection. Um, that's a good or a bad thing, but you know, that, that the, um, the, the, how you're determining who the right curator for you is, is, is an evaluation activity. But um, it's, a different, it's a different kind of search, and I want students, teachers, parents to be aware of that as a new search strategy. Number two, search, curating with kids is the opportunity for get, to get kids to, to build um, a kind of a knowledge center for themselves. What, am I gonna, what feeds am I going to allow in? Uh, my experiment this past year was with Paperly. And that actually, I thought backfired at first, but it actually turned into a real learning experience. Because what happened was in Paperly, for instance, the kids get to choose 10 feeds. Now, how do you decide what 10 feeds you have? And then your own Twitter feed is automatically one of those feeds, which my kids discovered later on was not a good thing in a subject-oriented curation effort. So we had to, the first morning we looked at the, at, at the papers, we discovered, okay, we don't want that personal stuff coming through in your newspaper, so eliminate that. And if you get to, if you get 10 different combinations and you have to choose hashtags, which hashtags are you going to choose? Which at signs are you going to choose? Are you going to choose an individual 
or are you going to choose a major organization or a major uh, publication or a major um, lobbying group? And, and if you do that, will you get the benefit of multiple seeds? And, and that old game, like if, what would you wish for if you were given three wishes? I'd wish for more wishes. So what you can do is, if you're choosing feeds, you choose the feed of another curation effort. So you're getting some, you're you're curating the curating efforts. I know this is getting really complicated. In any case, um, uh, so for kids, um, I'm discovering that curation actually is a learning activity. It's about evaluation. And for some of my kids who got who got their things really off the ground. It, they developed a niche of followers. So if they're curating about a particular type of fashion or a skateboard park, they really have a following and they're making a difference in a particular community. And, um, and then I, I've discovered also that my curation efforts for my various different um, constituent groups makes a difference in their lives. If I do not curate, for instance, the ebooks that come out of my various subscriptions, they go undiscovered and the money gets wasted. When I do curate for a particular project or um, a teacher or a professional development activity, then, then things get discovered. And when I do it collaboratively, we build knowledge together. So um, I'm, I see that as um, self-curation. That's an interesting thing, too. That, that kind of fits into the portfolio idea, David. And it also comes in under the idea Howard Jarsh uh, talks about, Harold Jarsh talks about personal knowledge management. I think we curate for others, but we also curate for ourselves. I mean, there, are, there are things I don't want people to discover that I'm pulling together because it's, it's my, it, it feeds my thinking. Um, so, so anyway, um, that, that's the begin. I could talk for 20 hours about curation, but I'd better stop so other folks can, can join in if they like. Well, I certainly uh, agree that th this is a whole new world. In fact, I... Um, as you know, Joyce, I've been uh, working on, on an expanded kind of idea of what information literacy is, and it's kind of like your own personal learning environment, which is a little broader uh, concept. Uh, and I'm going to put in the uh, chat uh, uh, a URL uh, where a kid is describing what their virtual learning uh, 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 commons looks like. And, and in this, uh, in oh, I, I think I put the wrong one in there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the whole idea that um, the first thing you do as an individual is you build your own portal into the world of information rather than having it come at you, uh, which is a juggernaut that over, uh, just overwhelms everybody. And then uh, as you construct that and keep, keep that fresh, you're building your own personal learning network that Joyce has talked about. That's your own personal curation. That's the people you listen to. That's the tools you use. That's all the work you're doing. And that ends up you know, in a portfolio which is both private and personal. So if anybody Googles you, for example, they see what, what you try to put out about yourself uh, rather than what, uh, what just turns up. Uh, so you have a little more control over what. Uh, so you're building this personal expertise and, and the whole idea of collaborative intelligence, what you've contributed to as well as what you've created yourself. And that kind of builds uh, uh, just this whole world that you have some control over and in which you're exhibiting for the world uh, what you know and are able to do. I'll uh, open it to any other comments on that one. I'll take that. I'll grab the mic for that. I'm very passionate about um, some of the topics when it comes to transparency and creating a positive digital footprint for both ourselves and for our students. And it's really challenging uh, as, again, a middle school person because, honestly, there is nothing set up in my district for creating a positive digital footprint for my students because everybody's so gosh darn concerned about uh, safety and privacy issues. And I keep, you know, trying to push them forward saying, well, I'm getting permission from parents and from my administrator and I'm going to apologize rather than ask permission uh, from my district, and don't tell my district this, thanks a lot, um, because I think our kids need to start 
creating those positive digital footprints. And in middle school, we do that just with the first name and maybe last initial. But by the time they get to high school, if they don't have anything, then that's a concern. And then I asked some of my high school uh, teacher librarians, I was like, well, when they leave high school, how much of what they did for you guys is published online that people can see and not in protective little walled gardens of, you know, private wikis and such. And most of them are saying not much. So, you know, Joyce has a wonderful slide in uh, one of her presentations of a girl drinking, you know, beer out of a bottle, you know, with the idea that this is not what we want to have come up as the only hit when students are, you know, going to be Googled when they go for that, you know, college interview or for that job. And yet it seems like that seems to come up um, over and over that they don't really have much kind of, you know, positive digital footprint to go behind them. And likewise, you know, when I see other new teachers and part, people part of my PLN and I Google them and I only see, you know, one or two things come up, if, if anything, you know, what kind of model are we if we're not presenting the best way to be visible to our community and to our practice and to the administration and to our students? How can we, you know, preach having a creating a positive digital footprint when, you know, the only thing that comes up when we Google our names is maybe rate my teacher. And then we have no control over that, you know. And, you know, I'm really lucky. I've just been sweating it for years so far and rate my teacher in my school. You know, the fact that I'm even listed as a teacher made me really thrilled because, you know, sometimes people don't think teacher librarians are teachers. So, hello. Um, but I've gotten some good reviews. So I'm going to post right now a link to a presentation I did called Transparency is the New Black. And that is going to give a lot, a lot of slides on how that we can um, boost our transparency in our professional community and with our practice. And I think a lot of these things can be transferable to our students, of which, um, you know, like I said, we have to, you know, strive to help them craft that uh, presence so that when they leave us, all the cool things that they are, you know, all doing can be found. And I'll pass that on to probably Michelle. Um, actually, there's an interesting thing that's happening in the chat about public versus private work. And I have to tell you, we have some amazing examples of how making kids work public has really, really given them authentic experiences that are really going to enhance their, their digital footprint. And when, when you know, I, I, we, we harp on the kids all the time, you know, when they, when they come into the high school, the first thing we tell them is get on Facebook, you know, like a library, you can friend request your school librarians, your teachers will be there with you. Um, it's time to start thinking about your, your, social, your social media profile in a new way because um, the truth is in two or three years, you're going to have college admissions counselors starting to review those, those profiles as part of the admissions process. So you have to kind of start thinking about your, 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 your public persona and how that's going to come across. Um, I just did an article about this for American Libraries, and um, actually the feedback on that article was uh, was shocking um, because really I found that the, the the readership, or at least the readership that posted comments, and obviously it's, it's it's people who feel strongly one way or another, really didn't feel that there was any purpose to that kind of teaching and learning in, in K-12 environments. And I think I really strongly disagree with that. And I saw that this came up in the chat again, that you know, pu public isn't necessarily good. But um, if you look at actually Banned Websites Awareness Day, and the logo done for that was actually done by a student in our school. And he was paid by ASL. They bought that, like, that logo from him um, to, to really make that the, 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 the logo for, for the event. Um, the the other I mean there's another example our state library conference that artwork was also done by our by our, by our students we have students who um, continuously our music tech teachers continuously publishing our students projects and making them accessible to, to all the teachers and all the students in the school so that they can draw from that and make embedded into their own publications and their own what it is that they're putting out online. Most of our students do have a YouTube channel they publish for school. Um, they are really putting their work out there on a daily basis. And that is a critical part of making them global learners and making them connected learners. Here we are in, connect, in Connected Educator Month. That's, that's what inspired this, this entire week-long festivity is, is that we have to teach kids to be responsibly connected to be able to contribute to, um, uh, David, you had the term, uh, it's, Henry, it's Henry's term, um, but uh, the, the, the uh, 
our universal culture, our, our Joyce, you know the term. Put it in the chat because I know I know the term I'm thinking of. But I think that this is really a critical piece: is making students' work public, is not having it all hidden behind some par you know some parallel universe to the real world, but really taking as many opportunities as possible to take their work and put it in the real world so that other people can see it and it's really truly evaluated. It definitely steps up the notch for their participation and the and and the level of um, investment that they put into their work because it's not just oh yeah I'm giving it to my teacher and I'll get a grade on it and maybe my parents will see it and maybe they won't. It really does change the way that they feel about their work. They're, they're their reputation is on the line and they feel strongly with it. Um, I'm going to turn it over to somebody else. In the chat, Michelle, there um, was a comment from, from Judith and I, I think it's a really valid comment. I think um, we're, there's a perception that we're talking about the kids in the 98th and 99th percentile and my experience is that's not true. Um, it, you know, I, I think a few of us have done a, a blog post called If You Give a Kid a Camera. And we, you know, we mean it's still in a video camera. And and um, what I'm seeing on the part of um, my my just emerging English speakers in ELL, in, in ESL, and um, my my special education classes um, is that um, the types of work we do in libraries with these kids and using technology has allowed them to shine in new ways and has allowed them to become part of, of the, the discussion that formerly was just from what we might have called the intelligentsia in our schools. Uh, and, and they're writing and people are reading their writings and their work is being validated. Um, and so, you know, I just want to make sure that we, we understand that this is not just for the honor students and it is a way for us to give the kids and I'll tell you something, it's, it's an interesting, the, 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 niche, the niche of kids that it seems to be most interested in this, maybe not surprising, um, it, it's bringing out the art, the theater, the musician kids, and pulling, and, and the mathematicians, the design kids, pulling them together and giving them new spotlight in a way that um, was only there for their national merit finalists and the football players uh, and the stars. Uh, you know, people who are like in the background for stage crew, are now have have the best YouTube videos, for instance, and are on are celebrated in our channel and have the most hits um, and are the best bloggers. So it's it's really giving interesting voice to kids who are not necessarily in the top ten percent of the class and who don't care about that stuff. I just want to jump in and piggyback on that, um, only because I, I just had my first meeting. I teach in an alternative ed program, um, and my and I, I'm sort of formulating. I don't start for another two weeks on that, and I'm starting to formulate what it is that we're going to do this year based on the kids. I just got the roster today, and that really determines how we're going to teach it. But the first thing we're going to start with is actually Google yourself, and let's let's figure out how to. How to, how to fix this, because I know that that's going to be the first problem we had. Um, I took one of those students um, to a conference with me, and we had to literally clean up her profile, and I sat there with three other students, and it took us a long time to do that. So I think that that's something that we really need to have an experience with our students, so I think it's going to be a very interesting um, year, and I'll, I'll be blogging about it. Well, I think uh, you're all right, and if any school that's interested in what we call differentiation, hires a person like you, you three, uh, because they know uh, that it's not just the, uh, the, uh, the highest level kid that's going to uh, benefit. You're going through technology and information, you're going to reach a much, much higher percentage of, of kids and, and instill them in them the idea that they have something to contribute. And I do think there's three levels uh, that are starting to emerge, at least in my mind. Uh, of uh, participation in this whole world. Uh, the first is uh, the development of my own personal expertise. And, and that's what I know and, and I'm able to do and offer to the world or uh, offer to a, an employer or to my uh, passion. Uh, I have to become an expert. The second level I think is cooperative kind of work where I'm working with a team to uh, and I put my piece into uh, that puzzle. For example, uh, uh, if I'm making one of the car uh, uh, parts to a car that has to be uh, done, it's done cooperatively and my piece has to fit exactly uh, into that puzzle so that the car runs. But the third level I think is, is the, uh, while it's been around a while, I think is, is very exciting and that's the whole collaborative intelligence piece where groups of 
kids, adults, and in industry, um, you know, build together something that no one of them could have done in the past. In other words, that's the real area of creativity and, and real innovation, where we begin and we may not know exactly where we're going, but as we combine expertise together, uh, uh, new things. And I think young people can experience uh, all three levels uh, all through their school years, whether they're kindergartners or high schoolers. And I think that if we're talking about college and careers, we need to think uh, through that. Any other comments? Welcome. Well, there was a question in the chat box. And it's funny how I can obviously <laughs> partition my brain when other people are speaking and, and li both listen and read the chat. But yet when I'm speaking, I have a very uh, difficult time. But a question was asked here of how many teacher librarians work with student publication advisors in their school. And I believe that Dr. Rita uh, posted that. And uh, I do. And it's wonderful. You know, again, in middle school, we have, in my district, we have a daily live TV show. And uh, we find that it is a very wonderful uh, way to involve so many of our students in uh, creation, multimedia, digital uh, development, and iMovie creations, public service announcements. And I really try to, uh, in both the GT teacher and I work together, and um, we try to make an effort to get as many kids from all the different kinds of pools of kids that we have. Because I come from a very uh, wonderfully rich, diverse student body, both ethnically and socioeconomically. And I really want to see, of the 120 kids that we have involved in that every year, that when kids watch our show, that they see themselves in it. And if we work with the ESOL kids, and we work with the um, regional kids who are seriously emotionally disturbed, and we work with the kids who are at all kinds of levels, and we give special projects, special kinds of uh, opportunities for them to have a foothold in that production. And I'll post the wiki that we have to our TV show. And that's just a wonderful, wonderful way that everyone can feel involved and have a, a sense of uh, ownership over what we're producing. So that is just one example of that. And um, if that were taken away from me, and, and I've had to fight it in the last couple of years with shrinking times, taking away the, uh, you know, the different areas where we used to carve our TV show in the morning. We had, uh, when I opened the school 15 years ago, we created that TV studio from the ground up, ordering that $20,000 beautiful blue curtain and our green screen and our cameras. Uh, we have like 10 minutes every morning uh, to do our live show. And the kids would come in on their own. The parents would drop them off, or they would walk or ride their bikes to school. And again, all different learning levels, not just all the GT kids. Nope. Uh, some, of course, a lot, maybe sometimes. But every kind of uh, kid in there coming in early to write the morning script. We have a national news, local news, weather, sports, entertainment, and we do, again, special features, public uh, service announcements, things for the green team, environmental kind of stuff. And um, it, it's just it's beautiful, and it's a wonderful opportunity. And like Joyce with curation, I could talk about TV production with my kids and the wonderful ways it uh, affords them to uh, publish things and create things all day. So I'm going to pass on the mic. Well, I think it's. Um it's really important for teacher librarians, particularly as they, uh, as they collaborate with classroom teachers to construct together uh, great learning experiences that, that they, they kind of document uh, you know, the, the depth of understanding of the topic at hand, whether it's science or social studies, but also uh, the skill level of learning how to learn which includes the use of the technology and the use of information. And um, that, uh, that needs to be communicated constantly uh, to parents, boards, etc. cetera, uh, because I do think that two heads are better than one as we, as we push uh, the technology uh, envelope. 
Well, we just have a, uh, let's just get to question three. I wonder if uh, our panelists would respond to question three. There's just a ton of uh, challenges uh, in opening this world of technology and, and getting the most out of it. And I wonder uh, how you're dealing with those challenges and what your recommendations uh, are for the, that. I guess I'll start, um, and, and I have to say, if it weren't for my administration, there's no way I would be on this panel right now. Um, it, I happen to be in a district with the most visionary, forward-thinking administrators who really do pat us on the back, encourage us to try new things, to experiment, to make mistakes if that's what we have to do, so long as we can fix them and we learn alongside the students with them. Um, I think that there's a comfort zone that we have, uh, we are afforded in this district that is really exemplary and I, I wish it was more common than it is. Um, and I, I think I, that's the only reason I'm here is because we get to try new stuff and we get to experiment with kids. I mean, I had an instance last year where I wanted to try Scoop It, but it was um, kids weren't able to set up their accounts. So I called my director of technology at 7 in the morning and said, hey, can you get this unblocked in their email account so that it's actually getting, they're getting their, their check. Um, that, so that they can actually just sort of cross-reference and make sure that they, they, they confirm their account um, within Scoopit. And by 7.30, we were able to launch the lesson with Scoopit as opposed to something that we already knew. That's a really atypical experience. Sadly, that is an atypical experience. Um, I wish it were more common. Um, you would, it's, it's really been what makes my job so much fun and transformational and why our kids are really excited to come in, to come in and do work because they get to try something new. They don't have to do it the same way. They don't have to do things the same way. They can use whatever device it is that they have in their pocket and they can choose their tools. And I'm, I used to call this a free range media bring your own device school but now I'm starting to call it, choose, call it a choose your tool school because really kids do get to make decisions about what it is that they want to do, how they want to do it and what they want to do it on. And that's very powerful to to engender curiosity among our learners. Um, I want to grab the mic because I'd like to sort of leave this with uh, Joyce because uh, she does such a good job at sewing everything together. Um, I agree with everything Michelle said and, I, and I'm always in awe of what uh, she does with her kids and a little envious at times. But really, you know, and I'm hearing, I, and I know when I speak, when we speak, people are like, but how can I do that? Where do you find the time? And yeah, but it, and it's so easy to be discouraged uh, in so many ways um, with that, like, you know, with whatever obstacles come our way in our districts with our technology. Um, but we really just sort of have to find our ninja style ways around these obstacles. And sometimes you'll have to apologize later before asking permission. Sometimes you'll have to download things at home and bring them in. Sometimes you'll just have to use paper and pencil. I have a lot of, I have several different um, technology engaging lessons but that are pencil and paper. Again, David, yeah, make it work. Here's my Facebook UK wiki page where I sort of bring this out when, you know, for two or three months of my school year, uh, my kids are, you know, not allowed to be on any of the computers because they're all being used for testing. So this is, you know, where we can sort of have like either fictional characters leaving messages on people's walls uh, using paper, pencil, PowerPoint templates. There's an online version. There's all kinds of ways. And then I also at uh, one point came up with an idea of a Twitter-style book review and I was just brushing it up this morning uh, in between passing out LCD projectors, document cameras, and laminating a gajillion pages for my people because I'm on the, my fourth day of school. Here's the Twitter-style book review. Um, we're not even using Twitter at all because Twitter's blocked in my district. Um, I get the engagement and the idea of being concise and writing these Twitter-style book reviews and using a character counter uh, that's free, not blocked, um, where the kids can check it, and then they have to like peer review it. And then I use a Google uh, form where they can submit it to me and to their teacher, and then we can get them as a spreadsheet, of course, in our you know Google Drive. Look at them. Uh, we can post them, you know, by printing them out. We can post them by copying and pasting them into our uh, school Twitter feed, which I can only get to again at home. 
um, and they can see that. But, you know, we're not letting some of the, the, the things stop us from doing exciting uh, opportunities for our kids to connect and to experience technology and to experience their own creativity. Again, finding ways around that. And the next five years, I just hopefully will see more and more opening up of that those opportunities as we get beyond the banned websites. And, um, and I hope Michelle can plug the banned website awareness day again. I'm excited and honored to have been asked to speak, and I will be speaking uh, during that week for that. Um, and uh, I think this is, again, we're on such an exciting precipice of our profession and our practice that we just need to jump off that ledge. And if we need to start sewing that parachute as we're going down, I'd rather do that than, than cling to the edge and, and not jump off. Okay, that was a little, probably a little dramatic, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm passing this over to Joycey. Okay, and I, you know, just reading through the chat, I'm seeing that you know, not every it's not, this is not a one size fits all uh, prescription that we're, we're chatting about today. It's going to look different for Judith. It's going to look different um, for Jane and and for me and and for everybody else who's in the room. And it's really okay. We're working towards the same goals. We're just doing it differently. I think the important thing this year is to stop doing stupid stuff. I mean, really, to stop doing things that don't matter. To question your practice. Um, it, it's possible that you're doing things that somebody told you in library school 20 years ago that you're supposed to do that no longer make sense. So, um, you know, don't bother with inventory. Don't close the library down. Think about, as, as you list the things that you do in your brain, think about what things you can lose and what things you can try and, and, and what, things, uh, what things are exciting to you, what's going to get you passionate about teaching in, in September. Um, and, and as long as we're plugging things, let me just say that Gwyneth and, and the team that she's working with right now on the TL Cafe are planning um, a fabulous list of first Monday activities. This coming Monday, because of Labor Day, is going to be a back-to-school special. We're going to have a SmackDown in December. There's going to be an awful lot of free webinars. Um, we are now going to start, we decided this last night, we're going to start TL Chat Live. Um, and so we're deciding whether it's going to be Monday or Tuesday night where we'll actually have the chat, TL chat hashtag around a particular question, issue, problem, um, and we'll spend two or three hours on live chat just, just talking about that. And, 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 and that's exciting. Um, I think that um, for those of you who are, are, are have questions um, or just starting out and, and need mentorship, I, I know about that. Tamara, Tamara, yeah, we're trying to figure out uh, what what works best. Uh, but let's um, let's do it together. And we're 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 fortunate to have David's wisdom and a a, a team of uh, of professionals who care about each other and and who want to mentor each other. So um, so if you're new to this field, join us. Um, uh, join any one of the, the many networks. We really are a tribe. Uh, I am so excited about this school year. There are so many things I want to try, including flipping, which we didn't have enough time to talk about today. But I, I think that teachers are overwhelmed. The common core is, is on their brains, uh, uh, the, uh, dealing with resources um, that they've never had to deal with before, user-generated content, how are they going to achieve the goals of research and, and using evidence and, and, and different types of writing. We can lead, and uh, I'm going to put a lot of other stuff aside and, and lead a, a few movements that I think are important in my school this year. So, um, David, how about you? Do you want sure. to close up? Sure. Um, it's been a terrific uh, discussion. I think um, uh, you're seeing uh, three uh, model uh, teacher librarians that we wish could be uh, uh, duplicated all around the country. And I was thinking on the fourth question, you know, as you look at a, a learning commons as opposed to um, a traditional library that pretty much collected things and disseminated them, um, you know, I put a list on what, what would a principal uh, want to think about um, as they looked in, in, the, in the learning commons to see what was going on both in physical space, et cetera. And uh, you know, there's there's uh, just uh, this whole new world, and I think if we, uh, uh, if all of us uh, as professionals um, 
you know, keep the experimentation going. That's the message I get. Is we're willing to take risks. We're willing to, uh, and but we're always looking at the bottom line, which is is uh, uh, student learning. And it's got to be better. It's it's always got to push the envelope for the kids as well as the teachers. And then I think we have. Um, you know, a, a recipe for success, uh, not not just in librarianship, but in this, the school culture as well. So, well, I think that kind of wraps it up. Steve, if you're in the room, uh, you can uh, say goodbye. We want to thank all of our panelists and uh, the opportunity we've had. And uh, uh, do keep in touch with all of us. Everybody's uh, in the panel is willing to uh, help and assist in any way we can. So uh, Steve, uh, back to you. Thanks to all of you. That was delightful. Don't forget the Learning 2.012 conference, October 2nd and 3rd at learning20.com, where we talk about all of this for two days straight. Anyway, thanks so much for, for being here today. Panelists, thanks to those of you who have attended and participated. We have an hour break now in our schedule. And then we have a special session with Julie, Lindsay, and Vicki Davis on the Flight Classroom Project. And then after that, I'm interviewing Gordon Dryden, the New Zealand educator whose book, uh, Unlimited, The New Learning Revolution, is an amazing piece of work. So stay tuned. Lots more to come and one more day to go. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>